Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. Recorded live, ladies and gentlemen, this is the SteelerFury.com podcast. I'm your host, Brad Shadowben, a.k.a. Accidental Zen, at Accidental Zen on Twitter. Uh, Will Massasak is my name. I'm joined, as always, by uh, our two fine co-hosts, guests of the show, pundits, uh, madmen about all things football. Uh, the first is with us is Steel Perch. How are you, sir? I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> Could you say that for like an hour with some, while you eat Skittles? Just about that action, boss. <laughs> Even better, also with us uh, from his home somewhere in the wilds of uh, the south, uh, that is FC. He's with us. How are you, sir? You know why I'm here. <laughs> oh, you guys are going to do this to me, are you? Okay, so. it's media day here at the, at the podcast. Uh, before we move on to the Super Bowl, which I know you both are eager to talk about, your two favorite teams playing, although Dallas didn't make it, FC, I know you're disappointed. Uh, but before before we get to talk about that, um, this is our first time uh, reconvening since the Pittsburgh Steelers, the team that we cover, uh, flamed out in the playoffs. Um, FC, I haven't really heard your uh, take on it. Now that the wounds are, are somewhat healed, can you rip off the scab and pour some lemon juice in it for us? Um, probably not as much. I mean, I'm not going to be entirely negative. Um, you know, Le'Veon Bell was a valuable part of the Steelers' offense, but at the end of the day, you know, the defense didn't get enough stops. Joe Flacco had a great game. Players failed to make plays. Mike Mitchell made excuses, you know, uh, Cortez Allen still on the sideline. There's a lot to it. You know, um, it's a systematic failure. It's a player failure. It's a coaching failure. It's a scouting failure. It's an ownership failure. You know, it's failures all around. You know, you have to – I believe the, 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 the entire organization has to, you know, at, at, at every level, each level has to, you know, approach we need to be better, what can we do better, and – you know, uh, that's that's where I'm at with this. I you, you people that want to blame Dick LeBeau, I laugh. People that only want to blame Mike Tomlin or Kevin Colbert, I laugh. It's it's players, it's coaching, it's management. That's the problem with the Steelers. It all needs to improve. None of those, none of them are performing to a championship level, in my opinion. Kurt, you want to offer something uh, on this? Yeah, I, I completely agree with what he said. I mean, to me, to expand that a little bit further, it's the trenches. We got our ass kicked in the trenches. You know, and if you want to look at why we got the, our ass kicked in the trenches, you can even look at the draft from this year. Our first two picks spent the majority of the year either injured or riding on the bench while the Ravens' first two picks on defense made uh, the all-rookie team for the league. You look the one at, made the uh, 
Yeah, yeah. And if you look back a couple years when the Steelers uh, took Mike Adams in the second round and he rotted on the bench this year because he sucks, about three picks later, the Ravens took their left guard, Kalecio Semele, who's been one of the best left guards in the league. I think he made the Pro Bowl or was close to it this year. And he's just in the trenches. The Steelers don't, you know, that's how they've dominated this division for so many years. They've been tougher up front. It's where the games are won. Now we're drafting 170 pound running backs in the third round. I mean, you've got to get tougher. You've got to get better up front on both sides of the ball. You want to play big boy football, that's what you need. That's why they lost the game. So, you know, and it, it, who's that fall on? Does it fall on coaching, but for not coaching them up fast enough? I think that's part of it. Does it fall on scouting? Does it fall on everything? You know, just like FC said, it's they're not getting tough, uh, tough enough guys or talented enough guys in the trenches, and they're losing those battles. And, you know, I don't see a, a quick fix to that problem either. Well, it seems like a two a two part problem that is more organizational mindset. One is the Steelers fell into that trap of, hey, you're, our quarterback won with the worst offensive line in the history of Super Bowl winners. So therefore, as long as we you know provide him with a veteran defense and um, you know just enough just enough at all the other offensive positions, that'll be good enough for him, especially offensive line. And this thing where the offensive line was good enough all year to to put up yards even if they didn't score as much as we might have liked them to score. But in big boy football, they're just not really built for that. And even the, even the receiving weapons, they're not really built for big boy football. They're built for finesse football. And on the defensive side, you know, the old guys all just got old at the same time, and there wasn't really enough of a concerted effort to replace them. You know, that's, that's my take. Um, FC, you know, Purchase mentioned that he doesn't think it's a quick fix to do any of this. Um, but, you know, we, for all the talk about you know, making fixes to the secondary and pass rushers on defense, that doesn't really address the big boy football on the lines, does it? But it doesn't, but I, I agree with, actually with you and Perch, I think we're all going to fall in line. We're of level mindsets, and we understand that the game is. But to take it a step further, I, I don't believe he finishes the top rated, but the guaranteed top five rated offensive lineman by whatever – metric system you used was an undrafted free agent that's happened to start, I believe, 15 games this year. So the Steelers and a lot of teams are missing on players. I believe that the Steelers, they decided because there's less guaranteed money. I just want to address this. With undrafted free agents that they were going to bring in a limited number instead of casting a wide net. And I think that with the, the way the Steelers are right now, talent, salary cap wise that you have to cast a wide net and I, I i honestly love the the lemon signing that they recently made the Steelers so I'm going to give the, I'm going to say the scouting I don't care if he doesn't work out he has talents that the Steelers really need in situational football and football's just his just it's been a tidal wave to situational football and offense and defense with the substitutions outside of the Philadelphia Eagles. It's, you know, it's specialized football. And that lemon kid, I believe, could be something maybe rushing the passer. He has a special talent. The Steelers got to look for players like that. You know, I don't care what you run the 40 in, and I don't care how many bench reps you have. If you can get the job done on the field, that is, you know, they, it's, football's not playing shorts. And that's what everybody – we're coming up on the combine now and these pro day workouts, and I love them as much as anyone. But the big thing is we've got to find football players. 
I like Cam Hayward. I don't think he's necessarily the greatest fit for this defense if we're going to continue running it the way we are going forward. I let him maybe finish out his contract and go somewhere else. I think he could be a great three technique for a 4-3 defense. He is not what we need. Tewitt is going to have to improve against the run. I didn't want to throw him under the bus. He had problems against the Ravens. You know, I completely agree with Perch that Calicio Semele is a stud. What we got to remember is the Ravens had three guys playing out of position against us, and they still kicked our ass. So we do have, you know, issues in the trenches on both sides of the ball. I love David DeCastro. He's good. I don't ever think he's going to be great. He's good. I'm not saying I wouldn't pay him. Marquise Pouncey is very good. He's never going to be great. I think Kelvin Beecham could be a very good left guard. I think he played a whale of a season at left tackle. Our right tackle position is a fucking albatross, and that's horrible with you know, extending Marcus Gilbert and drafting Mike Adams in the second round. Right tackle should be locked down. It's not. This team does have issues, and it does have problems. It also happens to have talent at other positions where they can continue to win games and win nine and ten games and continue not to improve via the draft because you're picking, you know, in the bottom third every year. I, I have concerns. I have the same concerns everyone has. I know I didn't address your question, but I No, you, you did all right. No, no, you did all right. And I was just going to add to that that, you know, it feels like the Steelers are obviously a blue-ribbon organization and in many ways, everybody emulates what the Steelers do by and large. But, you know, if you if you want to take the step from where they are to try to be, you know, not just a little bit better, but a lot better enough to be a real contender, it seems to me that, like, they're missing this element of fresh blood. They very rarely bring in someone from outside the organization who thinks differently than they do. I keep hammering this point home, much like I hammered the point home about having a bigger wide receiver or, you know, an outside guy that provided catch radius. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the truth is what you described, FC, is basically the way that Seattle drafts and and uh, treats players that are on the roster. They give – you know, they, they uh, have competition Wednesdays where they literally – guys are playing for their jobs. Even established starters have a chance of being unseated by guys who are beneath them playing better. The, the younger guys all get reps in practice. They get equal reps to what the starters get. Um, you know, they're not, they're willing to go off their own draft board and their own mindset, and they don't really care what anybody else, you know, how they, other people evaluate their players. They're looking for football players, not to say that they're, that they're perfect by any stretch, but some measure of, you know, wouldn't you be interested if you're in the Steelers front office and scouting department, wouldn't you be interested in knowing how they do things that are, that are a little different just because the Steelers, I think, do things pretty traditionally. I, I don't know. You can see it in the way they draft and in the way that they, they sign players and the way they do things. It's a very, it's not a formula that is, that's built to gamble or to make great strides. It's a formula that's meant to stay steady, to steady the course for a long period of time. So Perch, I don't know how you get from that to where we are, but one thing I just question for you is, you know, the young talent, we, it seems like the Steelers have young talent or they might, but we just, we just wouldn't know because, you know, they're so reticent to give guys an opportunity. Yeah, I mean, maybe, we, maybe that changes with the new defensive coordinator, but to me, all the young talent I see is on offense. <laughs> you know, I guess yeah, I mean, Castro and Bell and Brown and, you know, all those guys are on offense Brian, and defense. Yeah, yeah, and Bryant, 
we hope Shazier is good. You know, we don't know. Maybe he's horrible. Yeah, we're going to give him a chance if, you know, if you're open-minded enough to, to let the guy play. I mean, can't really judge him on a, an injured field, injury field first season and the same with Jarvis Jones, but those guys need to be huge this year. Those guys need to be playing near a Pro Bowl level f- for the Steelers to, to turn things around. Um, so, you know, we don't even know who the other outside linebacker is. There, there's Jordan Zumwalt's about the only other guy on the, on the roster right now. Um, so, yeah, yeah, maybe they do have some talent on defense, and, and I, I'm a fan of Cam Hayward, and I think I was a big fan of the Stephen Tewitt pick. So was I. But, you know, as FC said, they both have got to improve. Um, just in, in the whole secondary is a mess. You know, they they got very fortunate that uh, Antoine Blake and uh, uh, Bryce McCain played as well as they did last year. Uh, so it, it's it's going to be an interesting offseason, and hopefully they cut the dead weight, cut you know, rip it all off at, at one time, and and uh, go out in free agency and bring in a couple guys that can start. So FC, we have Keith, but- Keith Butler, you know, the transition from Dick LeBeau, which you know, man has been there for almost 15 seasons, um, and that was just sort of like a you know, knowing what the Steelers were looking for in the draft and the kinds of players we seem to like on defense, that that was all pretty stable for a long period of time. Now it's like you can't necessarily even rule out that they will draft guys who don't fit traditionally with what they've done because it could very well be that, that those cats fit better what they want to do. I kind of see them going more multiple. How do you, how do you, what do you think the transition will be like? Will there be like no change or drastic changes or something in between? Um, something in between. I'm sure that I, I it's, it's, it's tough to really know much about Keith Butler. I mean, I follow the Steelers. We follow the Steelers as hardcore as anybody. And the only thing we know is he's been there forever. He's turned on other defensive coordinator jobs. He's been very loyal. That's all we know about him. You know, until we, you know, until he puts something on tape, you know. But coming with the draft, I think that the Steelers, I don't think anybody will argue this, are probably going to go pretty defensive heavily. And do I think they're going to go multiple? Maybe slightly more multiple, but I think the Steelers really believe in their 3-4 and their 3-4 concepts. So I imagine that will continue to be our base. Will we show 4-3 looks or 46 looks? Absolutely. You know, but, you know, Keith Butler is a Dick LeBeau protege. If there's ever one, ever, ever a guy that really you would say is a pure Dick LeBeau protege, it's going to be him. So we'll see. You know, it's, it's an interesting call. I would much rather see, you know, other movement on on the defense. I mean, I have nothing against John Mitchell, but our defensive line is fairly stagnant. You know, um, have we named a new linebackers coach? Uh, no, maybe we'll go with that one. Like <laughs> New know, England uh, did. Like New England did whenever they lost Josh McDaniels, right? Yeah. You know, or, or they lost uh, the other guy, uh, Charlie White. Sorry. Go ahead. Right. Um, I, what, what are we going to do there? Um, it, it, as funny as it sounds, it's a fairly important thing. we got Jarvis Jones and Ryan Shazier, two linebackers taken in the first round, the last two drafts. The development of those two players, as Perch said, along with Tewitt and Hayward and McCullers, you know, that's, that's pretty important going forward you know, with our defense. I absolutely don't – I wouldn't be surprised if we don't have a single starter in the defensive backfield return next year from our starting lineup this year. I think that we I mean, have four new starters. That's, don't, if I would have said that six months ago, everybody would have laughed at me. But we may have four new starters. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't actually seem that outrageous to me. The most outrageous would be Mike Mitchell. Perch, do you think there's a chance that Mitchell is not a starter for the Steelers next year, say two or three weeks into the season? 
Um, no, because they, they would have to find somebody to replace him, and I think they've got so many other needs they're not even going to address replacing him. That's that's the way I think I, it's going to show. Joe, nobody thinks there's a chance that we'll cut him. That's, no, I don't, I don't think, I think they're going to give him – you know, I, you know, with the injury he claimed to have had this year, uh, I think they're going to give him a full second season. I think Cortez Allen, maybe they go to him and try and get him to restructure that deal a little bit. But I think they both give them a second year on their deal, and if uh, they can't turn it around this year, they, they're both at a big risk for being cut. But that's not the, quite the Steelers' way to give somebody a big deal and then cut them right. the very next year. So I, I think they're yeah, – I don't think the Steelers are going to heavily address free safety uh, this offseason. And uh, so it's going to be tough for somebody to take Mike Mitchell's job away from him. So I think they'd probably give him another year, and if it doesn't work out, cut him and go back to the well in free agency. Yeah, and Cortez Allen has a kind of deal where he could actually get a pay cut because he's not a he's not a big salary cap hit if they cut him, yeah. um, as I recall. So, um, well, gents, um, let's let's transition for a second into into just talking about the draft because um, we're going to bring <laughs> we're going to bring it back around to this. It's just you know it's like reopening old wounds and pouring lemon juice in them. So let's, let's talk draft for a minute. I think that's a little bit more exciting. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm talking with, you know, two of my favorite draft people who are anywhere on the, uh, in, in the world on the interwebs. Um, so, you know, I don't relish a chance to uh, talk draft. Um, I'll start with you, uh, FC, because I think I know a couple of the answers for Perch and I'll ask him next, but um in terms of the top, let's just talk for a second about the top of the draft. Probably guys that are going to go before the Steelers, but still, you know, draft. Talk about that segment. Um, who is in that group that you just don't get? You know, who's a red herring for you? Guys that are going to get picked early in the first, you know, uh, ten to fifteen picks that you just don't get it. Wow, I, I think that this could be really surprising to a lot of people. But uh, both quarterbacks, Mariota and Winston, I don't necessarily think that either one of them are going to be potential. I don't think they're going to either be Andrew Luck or even Cam Newton, to be honest with you, in the press. That's just my personal opinion. I see them both lacking very, very important things that for uh, starting NFL quarterbacks. Um, this may surprise some people. Top 5 to 10, Amari Cooper would be surprised to me. Um, Randy Gregory. Um, I don't think I'd take Randy Gregory at 22. For this yeah, Randy Gregory is a, that yeah. guy. For I know we have a lot of Nebraska fans. Um, I hate to say this as well, Shane Ray. Um, I, want, I want to see what he measures and weighs. Uh, and as funny as that sounds, I read reports that he was down to 223 pounds. And, I mean, Greg Lloyd, I believe, is a one-in-a-generation or twice-in-a-generation type player. And that's the last guy I can remember being super dominant at, uh, you know, 225, 228 pounds. You know, in an outside linebacker position, people will say Derek, Derek Brooks, but he was more of a will. Um, any offensive tackle or offensive lineman in the top 15, I actually would have an issue with because, uh, as I said before, I don't think there's a single franchise tackle in this draft. And the player that I think is our player or players that I think are being undervalued the most uh, at this point, one would be, uh, might surprise a few people, would be Leonard Williams. Um, I, I know a lot of people still list him in the top five. Um, he has traits, character traits that make him unblockable in both the run and, pa- and, and, and rushing the passer. And uh, Marcus Peters, um, I think, is being you know kind of undervalued at this point. I think that he is probably, without a doubt, the only shutdown corner in this draft, in my opinion. And I watched a ton of film from this year and from the past two seasons on him. So. Those, I guess that's where I would 
have my launching off point. I don't think this draft's very great at the top. I think the overall value is excellent, though. And, and uh, I've already asked first this question because I, I happen to think he, I happen to think Marcus Peters is the best player in this draft, and that in five oh. years it'll it'll be crazy to think of taking anybody ahead of him in this draft. I think that's like you said, it's not really that top heavy. So uh, I'm I'm with you, but do you you know you you would say maybe uh, the guy you just named? I'm sorry, uh, Leonard Williams or go, Marcus Peters. Yeah, Leonard Williams those, or BSC. Those are going to be the two guys that I think are going to be the best out of this draft. I wouldn't disagree with that. And Perch may think I'm bonkers and crazy, and he might be right. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think, Perch, on this subject? Uh, overrated guys and then guys you feel like are going to be the best? Unfortunately, I agree way too much with FC on pretty much all that stuff. But uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll throw a few that he didn't really touch on, and, and I, I think you and I had discussed this a little bit. Together. I don't get the Landon Collins love. He's sure a big, not. strong, in-the-box safety, but he struggles in coverage and it's passing oh. lifting and – Boy, I, I think I could find a guy that can play like that in the second and third round just about every year. Why would you take him in the top ten? I, I can't understand that. Uh, the, the tackle from Pitt, T.J. Clemmings, he was an okay tackle at Pitt. To hear people are starting to say he's a top ten pick and one of the top two tackles, I'm not sure that he could play left tackle in the NFL. I saw him I play right tackle at the Senior Bowl, and he looked like shit there. I, I don't get that one at all. Um, you know, I'm a fan of Danny Shelton, but he's Casey Hampton to me. And you don't take Casey Hampton in the top, you know, most people ranking this guy in the top 10 picks. You don't take a nose tackle, a 34 nose tackle that high in the NFL today. Um, there's, you know, but I agree pretty much on the quarterbacks. Uh, Marcus Mariota is a, a scheme guy. He's got to, you know, he, he doesn't read anything. He goes, he finds his first guy and throws it there or he takes off and runs with it. Uh, I think, uh, Winston's got all the talent in the world, but he's got a 10 cent head and you just, you can't, you know, the NFL is a smart man's game. I think he'll end up blowing, blowing his shot too. Uh, I disagree with FC on Amari Cooper. I, I do think he's worthy of a top 10 pick. Um, do, you, but, do you like him better than white from uh, West Virginia? They're pretty similar. I think I would put Cooper just uh, a slight notch ahead. I think they're both top 15 caliber picks. I like Lyle Collins from the tackle from uh, LSU a lot more than most people. I love him. I think he's top rate attack on the draft, so I agree with you there. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I've got him as, as my top. T- I think he can be a all pro left guard. Worst case scenario, uh, you know, I think he can stick at left tackle. I think he probably play, probably play right tackle. Uh, that's you know, I've I've seen him falling in the twenties in a lot of these mocks, and that's I don't think the Steelers have a huge needed offensive line, but I'd sure as hell take him and stick him in at left guard day one. Well, and, well, well, know, well wait a minute now. Wait, wait a minute now. You said we got killed in the trenches on both sides of the ball, but we don't have a huge need in offensive line. How do you how do you reconcile those two things? It's like we have obviously a, an offensive line that's pretty good unless it goes against a great defensive line, but when it goes against a great defensive line, they kind of suck. A huge, a huge need, comparatively speaking, to what they have at outside linebacker and cornerback and safety. Those are huge needs. You know, I mean, they have they have a need. But, I mean, I think if you fill those same five guys on the offensive line next year, you can get – you know, we had one of the top five offenses in the NFL this year with that offensive line. So, uh, it, it just relatively speaking, that uh, sure, but, okay, I get it. But now, now um, FC, how do you reconcile? I'm not reconcile. Where, where do you come down, Perch? I'll start with you first. But how, where do you come down on? You know, if you have a big, big need, but the pool for those kinds of players in the draft is very deep, and the talent is similar in the first, you know, two or three rounds, then don't you maybe go for? Uh, a position that you definitely need 
where there's only one or two guys in the whole draft class that you think really Yeah, I, I think you've got to stick pretty true to your board. If you've got best player available and he comes up, you want to take him. Um, but if it's close, if you have, say, uh, you know, a, a highly rated uh, offensive lineman like Lyle Collins and, uh, and uh, say, a cornerback, I, I would probably take Collins over the corner because I feel pretty comfortable I could find a good, cor- a good corner in the third round. So just, you know, it, it's, it's how you weigh it, how your board stacks up and that sort of thing. So, yeah, to me, you really, especially in that first round, whoever you have graded as the best player, you pretty much have to take. Because every couple of years, every position you end up needing anyway. Cause, you know, collapse yeah. forever so much. Pretty much true. Um, you, you know, imagine the outrage if uh, if last year we had drafted a running back, you know, in the in the first couple of picks, uh, or first couple of our rounds, and then by the end of the season, that might have been the difference in the team, you know, being able to go to the Super Bowl or not. So, you know, as if he was 173 pounds too. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Um, uh, was I going to say? Oh, uh, percentage chance Marcus Peters is dra- considered draftable by the Steelers, like on their board. Uh, I'll ask both of you, Perch. What, what do you say? Forty-three point eight. Oh, you moved up a little bit because you told me you told me like a week ago you <laughs> thought uh, you thought he was undraftable by the Steelers. Well, no, I, I just as cautious as they are with that sort of thing. I don't know where this – I mean, I've read things where, you know, some NFL scouts and GMs give these anonymous quotes where, oh, I wouldn't touch the guy in the first two rounds with his character issues. And I read another one that said, uh, it's the best cover corner I've scouted in the last 14 years. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of smoke on the guy. I happen to compare him very closely character-wise and talent-wise to Jimmy Smith of the Ravens. Big guy, very fluid, changes directions really well, anticipates routes, kind of a head case. Um, but I'd have a similar grade. He, where did he go? Is it 22nd or 23rd overall? So I think Peter's Something like that. Right, right in the same range is where Jimmy Smith went. I, I compare those two uh, really similarly. I, I wouldn't say he's better coming out than Revis as a, as a cover corner, but he's he's one of the best I've seen in a while. Yes, what I, do you um, think? I fall a little bit in about the 85 to 90% that they will. And the reason that I'm going to say that is um, you can go to YouTube and still listen to it because I listened to it less than a week ago because I was in an argument about uh, Marcus Peters, where you have the defensive coordinator, um, you have Steve Sarkeesian, and you have the position coach, all three separately, and this is from maybe five, six weeks ago, say the Marcus Peters story is bullshit. He got in a fight with a teammate, coach got involved, and he just pushed away and walked away. That was the contact with the coach. The reason he got in a fight, fist fight with the teammate, is because the teammate was happy and jovial after they got their ass kicked in the game. I think that's the type of players that the Steelers like. They want some. I think that's the type of player the Steelers need. And I and I that's competitiveness. And that's wanting to win. And that's hating to lose. Um, the defensive coordinator, his exact quote is, "That is a bunch of bullshit." Whenever talking about Marcus Peters, like, <laughs> I mean, verbatim. So that's what I take from that. And uh, if, if, if it came down, what I would find real interesting if it came down to maybe the Steelers had a choice somehow of drafting, you know, uh, Collins from, uh, um, oh my goodness, LSU. LSU. Um, let's say Marcus Peters is on the board. And let's say somehow, some way, they're one of the teams 
that really love Jalen Mills. What do you do then? You know, you have three high-quality players, and that's the ultimate of, you know, what are you going to do? I think that the Steelers probably would have to, and this is where me and Perch goes a little bit, I think the cornerback's a little bit bigger of a need than offensive tackle. I don't know. I, I think they're happy with Ramon Foster. I'm not. So you, you run into a problem. That's it would be a good problem to have for once. Yeah, indeed. I'm sorry, and FC, just to just to be sure, I know you were talking about. You said Jalen Mills. You talking I about? Meant, uh, I meant uh, Jalen Collins from LSU. Yeah, I got you. Um, well, uh, you guys put me in a little bit of a quandary here because you know I, I'm. I'm thinking. Pure I mean, I guy. Qu- so am I. I have Peters ranked as one of the top two or three players in this draft. All right. Well, but the thing is, I mean, the thing is, here's what I would say about it. There are some good corners after Marcus Peters. You know, there's nobody who's like a real NFL bona fide star uh, corner. But, you know, guys like Kevin White, Golson from Mississippi, Stephen Nelson. You know, there, there, are, some, there are some corners to be had. But Ronald they're, Darby, P.J. Williams, Alex Carter, Juan exactly, Diggs. But, very good corner draft, yes. But they're not, you know, they're not that guy. They're not special that way. And I think if you're really looking at make, getting difference makers, that's one of the few difference makers in this draft, isn't it? I mean, I mean, I, I would say Kevin White is first. You like Kevin White at all? I mean, I would say Kevin White is a, a cover guy who's very capable. He just doesn't have the size. He's not a hitter. He's not a run supporter. He's just a cover guy. He's way down on the board for me. I've got a handful of guys that like more than Kevin White. So, yeah. Well, there you go. Well, who do you – what corners do you – you know, beyond Marcus Peters, Perch, who do you like in this draft throughout? I'm a big fan of Sanquez Golson uh, at the right round. I mean, I, I I don't think you ever spend a top 50 pick on a corner who's under 5'10", but uh, of all those smaller, smurfy guys, I, I really like the way he plays. I'm a big fan of Steven Nelson at Oregon State. Uh, all of them. Yeah, just, yeah me uh, I saw three of us. Yeah. Everybody's dropping him down third and fourth round, and, I, I, boy, I would just love to get that guy that, that late in the draft. I think ultimately he probably ends up going late second, early third, somewhere in that range. Uh, I, you know, P.J. Williams, I didn't like him when he was a top 15 pick, but now that people are projecting <laughs> to the second round, now I kind of like him. But uh, Wayne, Trey Wayne scares me a bit. He's just so grabby. And, I, you know, we saw what happened with the Michigan State guy last year when he hit the NFL. So, it just you know, there's a bunch of those guys in the middle of that pack there that you think they're going to come off the board around the third round. Even the Dorian Grant from Ohio State, I think, would be solid in the Steelers system. Um, yeah, just you know, later on down the draft, I'm a fan of Ladarius Gunter from from uh, VU from Florida. Bigger guy, uh, yeah, he's not uh, not quite as stiff as some of the other guys that are that height. So I mean, there's a bunch of guys that are to me falling in that third round range that aren't far off from the guys that are in the first round range, with the exception of Marcus Peters. And then you got a bunch of guys that put a second or third round grade on, or maybe even a fourth round grade that are all lumped real close together. So if you don't get Peters, to me, just screw corner till the second or third round, you're going to get a guy pretty pretty similar uh, in talent. Hey, uh, FC, what did you think of Nick Marshall's week at the Senior Bowl? Um, I love to compete. I love the willingness to change. Um, I, Whenever you hear quotes, and I don't know if you guys heard them up there, but coming out of like at the University of Georgia – Mark Richt and the defensive coordinator at the time, I think it was before Grantham, but it might have been Grantham. And this, the defensive backs coach said, this is the best defensive back we've had here since Champ Bailey. You know, um, he's a big athletic kid that can run, and he doesn't have bad ball skills, and he has a good feel for tracking the ball. Would I draft him before the fifth round? No. 
No, but he's a, if he's I had a fifth comp pick in the fifth round, fifth. would I? I would definitely be willing to like risk maybe a comp, fifth comp or a sixth round draft pick on him, especially after you take a fucking hundred and seventy one pound running back that should be a midget toss fucking participant in the third round this <laughs> year. Midget toss. Um, anybody uh, we didn't mention there in that run Demetrius Nicholson from University of Virginia is a nice mid round kid that I would rank that I like right there with Nelson. Um, but that's it. We we really hit my we hit my cornerbacks pretty damn hard. I like quite like, a lot. What do you guys think of Quentin Rollins, the basketball player from Miami? I, I've seen he's got some real nice Ohio. Players. He he's has so freaking hands, and he has quick feet. Like he gets in and out of his breaks. I think he's a year away. Yeah. And I don't know how physical he'll be, but like uh, seven on seven and stuff like that, or nine on nine, he looks really fucking quick. Really quick. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Perch's assessment. It's like if, if when that guy was a third round pick, he was a steal, and now that he's a first round pick, you know, yeah, I don't like him as much. Well. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, he does seem to have a like you said, you know, once he if he really sets to getting better at the game part of it, not the ball skills part of it, that he's got down. Uh, it seems like, but at any rate, say, I'm not a very big fan of Kevin Johnson from Wake Forest, and I've seen a lot of people having him associated with the Steelers. And I'm not very happy about it. It would be Ryan Shazier bad, in my opinion. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I live down here, folks. Trust me, I'm not a fan. Ryan Shazier bad. Okay, hey, um, let's uh, let's talk edge rushers um, because although we you know sort of all on the record of saying there's a lot of them this year, and I'm you know I will tell you I'm the you guys know me I, I want to see the workouts for edge rushers before sure. I vet anybody. Uh, I think it's, you know, that's probably the one position where it really matters to me um, in addition to whatever it is else they put on tape that I can discern. But the thing, the thing I notice is, you know, the guy, the guys that are tackles in the, in the, uh, in college ranks, you know, general, general, you get these big guys who can't move um, and they're, they're potentially even top heavy and not good knee benders. And so it's hard to find, you know, not only tape of guys pass rushing, but where they're really forced to utilize their second and third moves and to really work against somebody. So you see guys that have a lot of athletic talent when they're un- unblocked uh, and so on and so forth, right? So that's that's my disclaimer. But with that being said, we already mentioned, you know, FC wants to see the size measurements on Ray because he's worried he's too small. Uh, and Gregory, we think maybe is, uh, you know, good good that someone else takes him in the top 10, pushes a better player down to us. After that, though, it gets kind of interesting to me. Um, I'm kind of on the Orchard train at the moment. Perch, you you're still on the Fowler wagon? Um, on the who? Fowler? Ed, yeah, I just don't, Dante I don't Fowler. Think, I don't think we've got a chance to get him, though. I think he's gone a top 15 picks. I like Orchard in the second round. I, I don't like any of these guys as first-round picks, uh, to be honest. Once you get past that first couple of guys that we all kind of agree that are going to be gone, um, Orchard seems to maybe be the best of that next group, and uh, I'm a fan of Kikaha from Washington. Just uh, I think he's the, probably the next best edge rusher of the group. Uh, Malden from Louisville, and he, he looked pretty natural and fluid dropping in coverage. He actually played outside linebacker this year. I don't think he's going to be a great pass rusher. He might be an eight-sack-a-year kind of guy. Um, I really don't like Marcus Golden. You know, I, I, I wanted to like him. I, I don't know. FC maybe still likes the guy, but he's got short arms and he just velcros is, on to guys. He one can't thing beat that you with. Dante Fowler, just the one thing I'm going to say. Marcus Golden, 
had almost as many sacks in a game as, Mark, as Dante Fowler had in his career. There is not a more overblown, bomb, lazy player that you will ever find Dante Fowler Jr. If he had half the motor of Marcus Golden, he probably could be a 20-sack guy. I, that he right there, Randy Gregory and Dante Fowler Jr. The only thing I'm, you can go look at this career stats. Take away the bowl game. I think he had four sacks this year. Last year, four sacks. I think he has a total of 11 quarterback pressures in his college career, other than the sacks. I mean, yeah, I didn't really get him. I, I didn't produ- really get him watching the production. State I understand either. that that uh, Alden Smith was like a stud at Missouri, and he had limited production. I just. Marcus Golden is the type – he just seems like a war daddy to me. I do like him. <laughs> He's actually probably the guy, like, the, maybe in the second round, but I like Tony Washington from Oregon a ton, and he doesn't get a lot of press. Yeah, actually, uh, I know that he's he's a third-day guy for most Fowler people. Fowler Jr., yeah. everyone loves him. I just, for some reason, I maybe it's the games I caught, but Leo, this is the reason I love the kid from LSU so much. Anybody wants to go watch a game, watch the LSU-Florida game from this year. You can see it all over the place. And watch what uh, Collins does to Fowler Jr. That's what put Collins as probably the top tackle for me in this draft. Then you see that this Collins is just a man. He just beats people down. And the left guard for, from Perch, I would love to see our, the Steelers offensive line maybe with that, even if you slide Beecham in the left guard. Yeah, um, uh, you know, I just I don't know when you see it. That's what I'm saying. Though. You see a tape like that, and is it just because Fowler is not he's really he's overrated, and that's why no, Collins it, looks so good, I, or is it Collins that good? Right. You know, I no, but <laughs> then I went and I looked at the Florida Florida State game, and you see Bobby Hart, who's really not a good right tackle, got slipped out the left tackle, and he did the same thing. And then I go and I watch the University of Georgia game where you have John Theus, who I would say is a poor left tackle, and he beats him up, and I'm thinking, what are Decent left tackles or good left tackles in the NFL. What's going to happen when Dante Fowler has to stare down Andy Whitworth or Tyron Smith or, you know, Jason fucking Peters? And that just scares me. And I, I, I want, like, this, the, my problem with the Steelers defensive players that they drafted is they're athletic and they look the part, but you need someone that's willing to knock himself the fuck out. It's still football. It's still nasty. It's still violent. And if you don't play that way, you're sitting on your ass in the playoffs and you got the Legion of Boom and cheating motherfucking Patriots in the Super Bowl. I think it's the only <laughs> way that you can win is being physical. And it's, I want physical, nasty players. I'll pay the fines. Okay, so Perch, uh, in, in, with that, if that's the mandate you're given, what FG, FC just said, then uh, you know who's who's left that we haven't talked about that might fit that mold. Uh, how about Flowers from Arkansas? I think he's a four-three only guy. I don't see him standing up, or you know, I, I think he's yeah. You know, he and Preston. I'm a bigger fan of Preston Smith from Mississippi State, but again, I don't think either of those guys really uh, protect an outside you know outside linebacker for for the thir- thirty-four. Sure. Um, sure. Uh, how, yeah, how about? How about Maudlin or Malden? I say Maudlin. That's not funny. Maudlin. So uh, does Malden? Malden is a guy to me that looks the part. I'm not sure that he is the part. He flashes. Yeah, yeah, he flashes. He he does everything that the Steelers would ask him to do. I think that uh, Keith Butler, especially, is going to get in workouts with a guy like him and 
running through the drills and he's going to see him drop and he's going to see him read and he's going to see him rush the edge and, and mix the moves up. I don't think he'll be great in the NFL. I think he could be a good starter, though. I think he could be, uh, you know, maybe a Jason Worlds, maybe a little bit better better against the run. You know, I, you know, I don't think he's going to be, you know, the – the long-term solution for all of our sack problems, but I think he could definitely start and be a solid starter for the Steelers system. I just have less concerns about him than I do, you know, some of these guys with 31-inch arms with, you know, uh, limited motors that I've seen. Uh, we talked about right. earlier. Baby, you want to hear something uh, funny? I got I got my little notebook right here in front of me. I just opened it up for the first time, and uh, I have a guy marked B to B State. Will is gonna fucking love this guy. <laughs> so I'll t- I guess I'll tell you the guy now. Uh, Martin, I call him Marty. Martin Ifedevi from Memphis. It's a guy you want to check out. I even I even like like went and looked him up so I would have his name spelled correctly for you to go look up. It's I F E D I. His first name is Martin. And he plays at Memphis, and you can get film on him. You'll love him. I'm telling you, you'll love him. <laughs> okay, I will. And you know, I already I already told FC the guy that I. Uh, yes. you know, I have my eye on to look for, and that is Ryan Delaire from Towson, um, who's a transfer from Massachusetts, from UMass. Um, you know, of the guys that I've seen, it's so hard to tell a guy like that. I mean, his level of competition is not as low as – he's not a D3 guy. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a, not just a, you know, FCS, you know, 1AA player, but I think Towson, you know, was a pretty good program, played a lot of tough teams in the playoffs. They made it to the finals. You know, and then to the loss to the eventual winner twice in a row. But for instance, compared to the guy from from Montana that people talk about, the, what Towson played is you know they play half a schedule against pretty good teams. Yep. Montana plays nobody basically. Um, and Ryan Ryan Delaire though is a guy that has long arms, has um, the motor of you know I don't even know even beyond the James Harrison motor. What's the next level beyond that? Joey Very Porter? good takeoff is the. the... Whenever you sent that to me on YouTube, my response was, he looks like an inch and a half taller, DeMarcus Ware, a young DeMarcus Ware, where it was like he was shot out of a gun. That's and his, just, his first his, few steps are unbelievable. His, his desire to finish and, and uh, you know, like tackle with, you know, with uh, force, using all, like all of his body to make tackles instead of just being satisfied to bring a guy down, that I really appreciated about him. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. You know, he's going to be at the combine. I guess we'll see him in comparison to the other guys and have a look. Um, but right now, you know, it's hard They're to get. They're saying he's going to run sub four six, and they say he's going to jump thirty five plus. If he does, I don't think you're going to be talking about him much probably later than the third round. Yeah, everybody will know round. his name. Oh, yeah. But, and what about great. That's one what more guy. My opinion. One more guy we haven't looked at later in the draft. Uh, Max Valls from uh, Virginia. Oh yeah. 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 He's got all the physical tools in the world, just really young, hasn't put it all together yet. But that's a guy that, you know, if you can get and stash in your system for a year or two and work him up, he could be, you know, he's a guy that if he went back to school for another year, may have been one of those guys that put up 15 sacks next year and we're talking about in the first round. So that's one I th- hope the Steelers, you know, get in, do their homework on it and work with, and maybe you can snatch him up in the fifth round and develop him in the program for a year and, and come up with a steal. And uh, I think he's going to go too early, but in terms of the uh, what we like to call the B2B directional state guys, Lyndon Trail from Norfolk, you know, he, he's a kid that he went to – he was he a – you know, I'm sorry, I say again? I think he's going to legitimately move to tight end. I think he should because he has a more of an offensive mentality about his game. It I looks like – like, when you watch him run around, he looks like a tight – why is that tight end playing defense? 
The first thing I, I looked at him, I was like, "Wow, this this kid looks like Jimmy Graham, and he might have a little like a little bit more of a desire to block." And I'm not taking a run at Jimmy Graham. I'm just saying, you know, he looked like whenever he was playing defense in the defensive drills, he actually looked like, "Okay, I'm physical. I just don't know what to do." Right, exactly. On especially on defense, he's kind of like right. he was he was winning because he's just big and long. But here's the thing, guys: he was a gunner uh, on special teams, and he is a uh, uh, what I would call the key blocker, like the the guy on the punt return who is, you know, ten who who ends up being ten yards in front of the returner and Perfect. trying to lead his, you know, give him the lead block. And I thought he was a very he he had so much effort and success on special teams. And then you watch him on defense and it's like, okay, he makes plays, but he's not a guy to you know hustle to the other side of the field like Jason Pierre-Paul. Um, he's not a guy to really punish guys and use his physicality mostly. You know, the guy that stands up at the snap. Maybe you can train that stuff out of him, and because he has the physical tools and the size you can't teach, that it, maybe it works out for him. But, as you guys said, I, you know, moving him to offense, I, I like that idea a lot, actually, after, you know, seeing him both do it in college and in, at the Senior Bowl. So, an interesting thing going forward. Oh, so with that guy. The one player that surprised me the most at the Senior Bowl, and generally I don't get surprised, Jeff Luke from Cincinnati. Now, hmm. I wasn't necessarily the biggest fan. Oh my goodness! Can that young man run? And he's the athletic yeah. enough to tips and run in space. I mean, he shut everybody down. He ran with everybody in space. And I was like, wow. And then I seen he was 262 pounds. I was like, what? Well, they were talking about him the first day. You know, who wins the swimsuit competition at the beach? Right. He's just all, all jacked up. But I thought he was a little. Maybe I have to go back and look at it. I thought he was. Pretty quick in a straight line, but a little bit stiff. I think that was kind of the. Okay, the I, I, I heard that from other people, so I will. Yeah, so I'll have to look, take another look at it. I, I'm talking like fifth or for like sixth round for a guy that actually will come in and yeah. is there and maybe be this. Oh no, I'm kidding. But which you're saying? Where does he project in, in, right in now, the NFL? I would think that probably. Oh, definitely. Right. He would if, if three four inside linebacker. He might be able to sneak in and be a four three middle linebacker. Um, what, if they draft, if they draft a four-three inside linebacker this year, somebody needs to lose their job. I'm sorry. Right, I understand. <laughs> I understand. I understand why you feel that way. The thing is, is you know, after this year, who's going to be under contract, and are you really comfortable paying Timmons that much money going? Still paying Timmons that much money going forward? And I'm picking on Larry Timmons by any stretch. But if you want to look at a number, go look at his salary cap number for this year and next year. For an inside mm-hmm. linebacker, they he's he's paid. Yeah, well that we ought, you know that money should be going to a pass rusher probably, but yeah. Sure. Um, so um, you know, next up on the list is particularly as we couch this in sort of the Steelers way of looking at things, safeties. I guess is sort of the next thing we haven't really talked about. Um, you know, my take, and I've talked about this a little bit with Perch FC, just to get your your take on it. it it's not a it's not a deep, deep draft for safeties, um, but there are a couple of guys that we really, really like. One in particular that I love. Um, where are you at with the safety population? Um, it's a, there's players I really like too, and I imagine they're not going to be players that necessarily are going to be very popular with you, <laughs> and, and, and that's not me being a dick. I really like three strong safeties in the draft, and I'm a fan of four or five uh, free safeties. So I'd say there's eight. Well, let's guys. let's talk free for a second because that to me is a more okay. of a mystery. It's hard. To, it's hard, very hard to. It's very hard to scout free safeties on on tape because often the tape that we get is just the sideline view where you barely see what they do. 
uh, and you see them only making the reactions at the end of the play and so on and so forth. So uh, maybe you have some insights. Yeah, or maybe you watch the spider cam a lot when <laughs> you have the no. ESPN extra package. Yeah, no. Um, first guy I'm going to take, I'm going to take him off of last year's tape and not as much of this year's tape. I think he tried to do a little bit too much is Curtis Drummond from Michigan State. He's a guy that's falling into the fourth or fifth round in most mocks. If he's there in the fourth round or even the, especially the fifth round, and we haven't drafted a free safety, it is somebody that we're going to definitely have to take a look at because I thought he was the best defender on Michigan State's defense last year. I thought Trey Wayans was the second-best defender on Michigan State's defense last year. I thought Shaq Calhoun was the third-best defensive player, and I thought Denarcus Denard was the fourth-best defender <laughs> off that Michigan State defense. And I said that oh. last year. And I, I think Curtis Drummond, he ain't going to blaze a great 40, and he ain't going to – once again, he's a football player that's going to be in the right position, and he makes plays. Um, that's one of my favorite guys. And I like Cody Pruitt. I'm just – I know he's going to get probably killed on the 40 from Old Miss. He just makes plays. And a late-round guy and local, and he's going to get dinged by everybody, is Adrian Amos from Penn State. And the only thing that I remember about him is he can't run a corner, but he is always around the ball at free safety. He's a good player. Football schools. Yeah, he's a good football player. Yeah, um – Drummond in 2014 looked a little soft to me, FC. I don't know if he was thinking about his draft status or whatever. But he Might just, be part you know, of it, trying to do a little bit too much. Trey, Trey Reigns was a very, very solid corner. I'm not taking anything away from him. He ain't going to be able to get away with that shit in the NFL. But their other corner, not so great. And also, I mean, every, I mean, what, their, Michigan State's defense wasn't as good as built. And it wasn't because of coaching. It's just they had some injuries, and they were young at some positions. So uh, Perch likes Anthony Harris, right, Perch? I, like I was just going to say uh, he would be my number one rated free safety. I know he played strong safety, but watch that guy in coverage. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, pretty much how they used him, he was uh, in deep coverage most of the year, didn't do a whole lot near the line, just excellent, excellent reading. Uh, the quarterback baiting guys into throws, very good ball skills, uh, good speed, uh, he'll, you know, he can tackle. He's not he's not an overly physical guy. I wouldn't say he's a big, big hitter, but he has good form, wrap-up tackle. He's not uh, like our buddy Holloman from Louisville who completely avoids contact. So I, I really <laughs> like him. I, I think for me, for how the Steelers play their free safety, of all the guys I looked at, that's the guy, even though he played strong safety in college, I would, I would project him to you know, the Steelers for free safety. I think that's probably my favorite guy for, for, for this draft. I just throw a just give me a quick answer on a couple perch. Demarius Randall from Arizona State. Um, I have nothing to add. I, I just uh, haven't seen him enough or looked at him enough to, to give you a good evaluation. Uh, FC, you want to take a stab? Good player. I would not invest. I wouldn't go high for him. Obviously, fifth round. <laughs> the Heat's a five or a six, uh, and yeah. then Eric Eric Rowe from Utah. I know. Uh, you know, move the corner Everybody this year. He's going to be the next Eric Weddle. I don't see it. Well, just you look at that. I mean, the success of the guys coming out of that program is defensive backs. Though, I mean, they have six in the NFL in the last five years that are all that all stuck. So we I haven't would, heard about he, Sam Carter from from uh, making the transition from TCU. That's a that's a strong that a lot of people like. And my favorite strong safety in this draft, and it's not even close. Love him, love him, love him. Big wonder look score, big hitter. Jordan Richards from Stanford. 
Oh, that's your favorite strong safety. That's fine. That is mine, and I understand why, you know, that, that, that he's mine. Yes, he is, and there's a lot of people that don't like him. I just uh, – he reminds me of a combination of Carnell Lake and Darren Perry in a way where you never seen Darren Perry really out of position, and that's, that's the, the, the big thing about Stanford. Mm-hmm. I like Stanford defensive players. Yeah, going forward. I like the intelligence. I like the ability to be multiple. I like that they're asked to do multiple things where you're asked to cover a tight end man coverage, where you're asked to cover a running back in man coverage. You play a ton of zone. You can play a cover two. You can play a cover three. You can play over a tight end. You're asked to do a lot of things. That's yeah, I think the multiple for safeties is the NFL way the last couple of years. It's just got to be worse. Yeah, because otherwise you've got to be able to cover a slot. You've got to be able to cover a tight end, or you can't be a great safety in today's NFL. Well, I mean, go go back go back to Eric Rowe for a minute. I mean, this was a guy who was you know he, he they even clocked as a low four fours, uh, big. He he was so good at free safety. He made all conference, and they said, hey, we sure. we could use you at corner. If I like to have my free safety have the ability to play corner, because that means we know he can cover. You think so, yeah, he's right now? He's very. I don't think he he's you know uh, quite. Nimble and quick enough to stay at corner, but I think going back to free safety, he might be one of the top three, four, five free safeties in the draft. Same thing you said about Sean Smith a couple of years ago. Perch, we yeah. both liked, you know, all three of us liked, you know. So. And to me, the guy that last year was Dante Johnson, who did the same thing, went from safety to corner. Right. And I just felt like, you know, he had a little, especially if you're going to play zone, you're going to play a lot of cover three. They play, you know, they play a lot of the same way anyway. Uh, speaking of being multiple, um, if I, I want you guys to talk me out of the two strongs that I love. But before we get there, um, let's talk about the two the two Louisville safeties, Holloman and Sample. Holloman, the more you know, like I really wanted to like him. Like you know how you have guys like that where you before you look at their film, you're like, I really want to like this guy, right? Because because of what he can do in terms of taking the football. But I mean, the more you watch of him, the worse it gets. Man, yeah. But if if he really does need shoulder surgery and, and that fixes it. Um, I seen a comparison early on to Ed Reed, and Ed Reed had some shoulder problems in college. Ed Reed stopped using his shoulder, so he decided to use his helmet and become a torpedo in college. And that's the difference between Ed Reed and Holloman. Holloman became more grabby, and Ed Reed became more of a missile since he had problems using his shoulder. And I don't want to say that Holloman's soft, because those ball skills and everything, his being able to read a ball and judge it, it's special. It really is. It's elite special. But yeah, but the thing is, if you can't, you know, if you can't he's not going to be willing to hit anybody. I don't know right. how he's going to see the field. Unless he's going to play for a team where basically they're going to play, you know, cover one, and he's going to be in the back, you know, 25 yards off the ball or something. Sure. But, Perch, you, you, I know you were the, a big advocate of his six months ago. Yeah, I mean, this, just watching him throughout the season as things progressed, you could tell he had an issue with the shoulder. So for a while, instead of hitting with that right shoulder, he would run – or left shoulder. He would completely run around the guy and hit the guy with the other. So he would get out of angle. After a while, he just seems like he's taken enough punishment. So he avoided – avoided flat avoided tackles. And then you saw him in the bowl game come out like, hey, I, I read all the press clippings. People think I'm soft. I'm going to lay some wood on some people. <laughs> he, he comes up and puts two big hits and knocks himself out of the game. You know, the guy's definitely – so I, to me, the medical flag is a big thing. And I've read conflicting reports on – uh, his his work ethic and his practice habits, and some people say, well, this guy just, you know, he's he's an issue. He doesn't want to work. He doesn't want to hit. He just wants to go out there and track the ball and, and get interceptions. To me, 
I, don't, I you know, we talked about, you know, what chance the Steelers would uh, would take Marcus Peters, and I had it around 40%. Uh, with, with Hollyman, I'd have it about zero. Just for the simple fact, we know what they want their corners or their safeties to do. They want their safeties to hit. They want to smash faces. They want a Ryan Clark back there. They want somebody who's out for blood. This guy's out for the ball, uh, or he's, he's just going to avoid the tackle. So, to me, the medical is going to be huge on him. If he, if he just needed a sh- shoulder surgery and they can fix that, he might be an all-pro corner or all-pro all safety. Uh, can I just the thing first? That, that, that shoulder injury was three years ago. It was three years ago. So, you know, like no, no, he no, 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 no. He torn, he, he's played this entire year with a torn rotator cuff is my understanding. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because I heard he had a shoulder injury from 2011. He did, and he didn't get surgery on it. And it was fine. If you look at his – I'm not defending him. I mean, cause, but I, I am going to defend the player because uh, I really do believe that he did injure the shoulder. And I believe it was the hockey game this year, which was like their first or second game. Because actually it was their second game. Because the first game he played in, he was all over the place. Then the Kentucky game, I want to say, is where he got injured. And you could tell that it was badly injured. And he was hanging it like Richard Sherman. And he actually came back in the game, and he struggled to even lift it up to try to get an interception. And he, like, back half the ball to try to intercept it, and I thought he was going to get it. It was going to be one of the more incredible plays I've seen. But, yeah, he has a torn rotator cuff is my understanding. Yeah. I mean, to me, he's the hardest evaluation for knuckleheads like us who don't have the ability to interview the guy and go through his medicals, just going off a of game film. I mean, this is, he guys played a Division I uh, school at a major conference, and he was getting an interception a game, sometimes two interceptions a game. You don't just do that out of luck. I mean, the guy has tremendous <laughs> yeah. ball skills and tremendous football smarts out there, but he's got tremendous red flags too. I can't, I can't tell you if he's one of the best ten players in the draft or if he's undraftable. I mean, it's just impossible for me to give a good evaluation of the I, guy with, you know, know sitting in a room with him and, and grilling him and going through his medicals. So, you know, for, for me, I, I can't tell you what the hell to think of the guy. Just he's, he's uh, a tough evaluation. If you yeah. if you put the right strong safety beside him, I think he could you know at the very he he could be a very good pro and you could have an elite pro, but you're gonna have to have you know uh, the the right type of thumper beside him, a thumper that can also run. A young Troy Palomala would be ideal, you know. Yeah. Mark well, speaking of speaking of which, you've you've uh, you've segued perfectly for me to talk about the strong safeties that I like. By the way, before I get to that though. You said he can't just be lucky. Jared Holloman can't be just lucky to get all those interceptions. That's like people who said that Jerome Lane was lucky to get the rebounds that he got. Yeah. But it was a guy that just like, you know, for whatever reason, saw the angles, played it right or whatever, just had a, you know, skill that no one else had. Um, so speaking of hitters at strong safety to pair with your Gerard Holloman's of the world, um, the, the, the two guys that I love, the one that I love, I think more than anything, my, my favorite safety in the draft is Jaquiski Tart. Um, uh, you know, I mean, you can't, help but be enamored about the guy's passion for the game and hitting but I think his coverage skills are actually underrated I don't think he faced a lot of um you know fantastic tight ends in his life but I think he held his own against Auburn was asked to cover you know some guys and so on and so forth I just feel like that that's a kid that can really play football you were looking for football players FC talk me out of it it's hard it's hard to I mean if you like a player and you see traits that you like I'm not going to even try to talk you off of it. I like Richards and I like Clayton Gathers from Central Florida. Yeah, Those are two yeah Clayton Gathers is the other guy that I like. I, I just felt like Tart, Tart and Gathers are similar players. Tart's a little bit better to me. But, He's but Gathers, a little bit more athletic. I think Gathers is a little bit more psychopathic. And he also has two <laughs> going with him. 
<laughs> I mean, when you got like 55 getters in the NFL, you know, they're got. I think they're. Like he would be. The, I believe he would be the ninth getters of that family. That's what I think it is. It's either eight or nine. I'll put it this way. I believe his uncle was probably one of the most underrated players in the last 30 years, jumpy together. So I played for Washington with the legendary forklift. To seeing large <laughs> men get lifted up off their – and then placed on their back. It's just like, oh, not good. You're not going to like that in film. Indeed. Hey, Perch, unless you have something – do you have anything to add about strong safeties before we move on? No, I think we covered that pretty good. Uh, tight end. Um you know, me personally, when I looked at film, the guy who looks like he's doing – like, uh, FC, I forget who you were talking about earlier t- today that – that uh, oh, uh, Malden, who does everything yeah. that the Steelers ask, you know, their, their outside linebackers to do. The tight end who does everything that the Steelers ask their tight ends to do only better than what any of them do is Max Williams from Minnesota. Love him. I told you that earlier. I love him. I don't think we're going to be able to draft him. Well, it's to funny me, you say that because I don't think he's. I don't think anybody's projecting him to be, you know, not unavailable by the time we pick. What's coming up in three weeks? The comp. Yeah, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, that is going. I swear, I think Max Williams is going to separate himself from a lot of people. Everyone thinks yeah. that Clive Walford's going to have this legendary combine, and I won't be surprised if he does. Max Williams is freaky athletic, and he's 250 pounds. Good yeah. Play. Indeed, good play. Perch. What, what were we going to say? Ben Koyak, you, if you look at a guy who has Steelers tight end written up, for better or worse, written all over him, it's Ben Koyak. That guy, he's a good blocker. I mean, you talked about you didn't think he was that great and as a receiver. I don't think he's super athletic, but he's sneaky like Heath Miller. Um, I, I think he has got Steelers tight end written all over him. I wouldn't be surprised if we got one. That's the one we get. Yeah, I'm thinking they like the Steelers like him more than I like him. Oh, um, I'm sure, I, yeah. I don't think he's a bad player. I just think he's a – once again, he's not a difference maker. He's a solid guy who you could plug in for a long time. But I don't know that he's a – you know, he's not a guy that's going to change the dynamic of what's going on in the middle of the field, which but, is what we really are missing right now. I mean, there's probably two of those guys in this entire draft with Walford and Williams. I don't think there's another one out there that really is that kind of guy, that freaky athlete that can really change the, the dynamic of the game. Well, Sifrin can, but he's not a blocker. He's not a guy that's going to fit in Pittsburgh. But I think uh, Gene Sifrin from uh, UMass is also 27, but he's he's that guy. Um, what do you guys think about the – I mean, Walford, you know, Walford, Max Williams, Koyak, those are the three guys I hear talked about a lot for the Steelers. What about, what about later, later guys, Blake, Blake Bell, Bibbs, Boyle, the, the bees attack, more killer bees? Do not want no parts of Blake Bell and my guy, Michael Pruitt. Look hmm. him up, boys. Yeah, You're I know. Like, uh oh. Yes. Um, he uh, he's six two. He's like two fifty five. I don't know if he's gonna run legendary. He went to Southern Illinois, so you have the D one double A. You know, very good player, very good program. Uh, big hands, soft hands. If he was two inches taller, I, people would mention him in the, like the Dion Sims type of category. That plays for the Dolphins, Michigan State. That's a player I really like, and I actually really like EJ Bibbs a lot too. Shorter than desired, but I think he could be a very tough matchup. But you think Bibbs is better than – I mean, Pruitt is better than Bibbs? Or just Pruitt is more Pruitt, – Pruitt is more uh, – he's less cost to him because he's going to be a later pick than Bibbs. Right, he's going to be a seventh-round pick most likely, but he's Bibbs the seventh-round like pick. Probably. What's that? Bibbs is a fifth or something? Yeah, Bibbs is probably going to be – I wouldn't be surprised if he goes up the late fourth, early fifth. 
Um, I think down the line that Pruitt has the potential to be very good, a, a smaller version of the, you know, the, a Max Williams or Clive Walford. I, I, I don't think he'll be as good as those two guys. I think those two guys could be special. I think they could be the next, you know, special tight ends, the next Gronkowski's, next Grams, the next Greg Olson's, Martellius Bennett. Those, I think that Williams and Walford could be in that class. I think that Pruitt and Bibbs could possibly be in the, you know, Jason Witten, Heath Miller type class of tight end in the NFL. Hmm. Yeah, Perch, where, 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 where are you sitting on this? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of Bibbs. I haven't seen uh, much of Michael Pruitt. I've you're kind of caught a little bit online, just kind of catch up, catching up with him. But uh, same here. Just again, we go back to needs. Tight ends a need, but it, is it a huge need right now? To me, I think it's like a third or fourth round need. So I'm kind of crossing off Williams and Walford, and I keep coming back to the same guy. It's to me, it's Ben Koyak. I mean, a, a late third rounder that uh, right away, I think. Right away, he'd be a good second tight end because he blocks really well. He adds more to the passing game than, than what we've got out of space. And a year or two down the line, I mean, I think he could develop into being the, the primary tight end. So that's, you know, the kind of guy I, I keep coming back to. Um, I, I think that's this year, if we're being realistic, where do the Steelers get a tight end? It's probably that third, fourth, maybe fifth round. So Koyak, Jesse James, uh, Bibbs, uh, those, those kind of guys are the ones I keep coming back to. Yeah, I don't want any part of Jesse James. I don't see it with that guy. Uh, I the, uh, the thing I will say about wait after about, the combine, we'll see if you feel that way. Yeah, well, he's, I, he's I, six I, seven two fifty. The guy's going to run well. He could jump well. He can catch. He can block. Going to run Penn real State well. Penn State didn't use the guy. If if he played for a different school that was going to use the tight end, uh, I think his profile would be a lot higher than what it is. I mean, I'm talking about him in the fourth round. I think right, if he yeah. could there, I'm not saying first, second, third round. But to me, it's an effort thing. I just didn't see it in the blocking go. or running patterns. That, to me, is the reason that he's a go-go for me. Jeff Ohio State seems like a stealer to me. Tight end. Um, probably not, not, a, not a great blocker. Great pass. No, he's not a fantastic blocker, but pretty good blocker, pretty good hands, with the potential probably being a very good blocker with pretty good hands. Yeah. Hey, um, you know, the the rest of the time here, since we've, we've kind of gone on draft talk, we've gone off the reservation. Um but, but it would be remiss. We mentioned a couple of, uh, you know, we mentioned the offensive tackle, uh, Leo Collins, that we that we all like early. But if, if that doesn't happen and the Steelers are looking at a late-round guy just to offer some uh, competition, some depth, and maybe a guy with upside, um, guys got any names you want to throw at me? I got a couple for you. Oh, I got a lot of offensive, like, like, like an offensive tackle that you might be able to slide into offensive guard or play at right tackle. There ain't many left tackles in this draft. I got a couple that I like. What, um, Tyrus Thompson is being thought of as the fifth or sixth round pick, starting left tackle from Oklahoma. I think he will be a very, very good left guard or right tackle in the NFL. I think he could be this year's like Andrew Norwell, who went undrafted and went on to be one of the you know better rookie starters. Sure, uh, Perch got a name. Uh, you're looking for like a, a later round guy to slide from tackle to guard. Or, or you know, any any kind of offensive lineman that can make us better. Boy, there's there's a few. I mean, Donovan Smith from Penn State showed really well in the bowl game. I think he could be a left he side sure player. Uh, yeah. Rob Rob Havenstein from Wisconsin was another one. Looked real good at at, uh, at right tackle. Um, what do you, what I don't do you know how, how high Cameron Irving's going to go, but to me, a guy that could play left tackle, center, and I think left guard 
getting a guy like that on the team, you know, just in case of injury, you'd probably have to get him in the second round or maybe even at top half of the first, or end of the first round to get a guy like him. But he's, he's a, provides a lot of flexibility. And I think he'd be a real good interior player in the, in the NFL too. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't like him at 22, but I, I no, last year, yeah, at, yeah. last year at Super Bowl time, he was my choice for the Steelers pick. So, uh, I, I do like the player. Um, I'll throw a couple names at you. How about Trenton Brown from Miami, who um, at the Senior Bowl played both right tackle and left guard and looked very convincing at left guard uh, in pass protection and in moving guys out of the way. Um, guys got any kind of feel for him? Solid player. I compare him very solidly, uh, compare him to Eric Flowers, who also played at Miami, was a junior, and he came out in this year's draft. Yeah. Or can, interchangeable type players, in my opinion. Can Brown really move that well, though? To be, I mean, I can't see him ever pulling from left guard. or I mean, he's, no, he's I, so, so does, big. Does he, move, just, does, a, does he move better than Foster? That's you know? what I was just going to say. <laughs> no, <you know>? he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about uh, Ollie Marpe? Have you guys seen his this, the kid who played as senior bowl guard, number 50? Yeah, from the um, Division three school. Yeah, I Calderon mean, obviously. State or something. Yeah, I actually was very impressed with him at left tackle. I knew they wasn't going to be able to stick there. Um, he looked pretty solid at center. Very good technician. You remind me of Calvin Beecham of, of all guys. Yeah, He's, there you that's go. the guy very, really fair. very fair. And, and I'll throw one more at uh, at your perch, and that is Fabillier from uh, TCU, who I think actually could stick at left tackle. But he's a, a head case. He's, he's a head case. That's the that's the issue with him. Yeah, light in the pants. He's, he's he's three sixty. That's why I was I was being sarcastic. <laughs> but, but the thing I think is, he's a little bit on the uh, upper side of three sixty, sir. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. All right, Darrell well, Williams from Oklahoma. There, there is another player. I like both Oklahoma tackles. As funny as that sounds. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the guard, the guard from Louisville looked real good too. Miller and then uh, Tomlinson from Duke. I like both of those guys in yeah, the guard. They're like probably maybe a little, too. A little too rich for our blood though, but they right. uh, they'll probably be second or third rounders. Yep. And in our in our uh, later rounds, uh, Sean Hickey from from uh, Syracuse might be a kid who could play multiple positions. You know, upgrade at least our depth. I don't know how you guys feel about him, but um, at any rate, uh, before we move on, um, defensive line. You know, at the moment, we sit, we have a lot of, you know, we're like sort of one guy short in that rotation. I don't know if it's a, you know, an interchangeable guy who's position flexible or if it's a straight-up 3-4 defensive end. Um, I got a couple of guys I like. See what you make of them. Uh, you can each take one. Henry Anderson from, from Stanford. I know FC, I'll give that to you because I know you watch a lot of Stanford film. Mm-hmm. I was just going to bring him up. One of my favorite players in the draft. Period. One of my favorite players yep. in this draft. If or if we needed a three-four defensive end, I would maybe look to trade down two or three spots and jump at him. Um, he's never going to be JJ Watt, but wow, does he do everything well? You know, and he's athletic and he hustles and he he's just everything that you would seem to want in a football player. Love him. better than better than Josh Morrow. Oh, I definitely, 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 definitely. Perch, Perch, uh, what's your take on Anderson? Uh, yeah, I kind of echo what FC said. He he fits the mold, fits the profile pretty well. That's somebody, I, you know, depending on the round and and where he fell, I, I definitely would look at that player. I, I heard I hear him as a third a third round pick. So oh I'm surprised my god, you said I would take that round round in a second, in a second I take him this year <laughs> with fucking everybody we have on our roster. Yeah, 
Um, and then one, one other guy, Derek Lott. I'm guessing, FC, you know a lot about Derek Lott. He's from your part of the world. Yes, sir. Uh, the former Georgia guy. Uh, but Derek Lott, to me, is a guy that I, I don't understand how this kid isn't being talked about as a second-day pick. What, is, what has he done wrong? Just. His college tape is ridiculous. He's, he is Willie a, Parker? Do you know? He, what, what, what happens? I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a fair question. He he's he seems coachable. He plays hard. I I, I don't know what's driving him down. I don't know. I'm, I, he's a good player. That's what else can you say? He I, I believe he averaged multiple tackles for loss in five or six games. He had like three or four tackles for a loss. He can rush the passer. He's stout. No, and and beyond that, teams were teams with, uh, that they played most of the time. Like would in, triple. In conference. Yeah, they would triple. He, I saw him beat a triple team for a sack, and they ran the ball away. They double teamed him on the backside, running away from him because he was chasing plays down, but you know, just disrupting in the backfield, taking the handoff. A lot of people off. don't give a lot of credence to the smaller southeastern schools if you have players transfer out of them, and they don't. The Georgia Southerns and the Waffords, a lot of those. Don't get respect. People yeah, but I mean, his, his school is not his school is not that small though. Chattanooga plays. They play. You know, they're. Understand. What, I, I'm, you know, they, they play McKinnon some. Remember from Georgia Southern, and the, the reason he got dinged supposedly like two rounds was because of where he played. I don't give a fuck mm-hmm. if he played in Canada or no offense to Canada. If he played in Helsinki, Finland, if he can play football and make plays and help a team win, you know, it don't matter where you play at. That's why, like, like the B two B state thing. I think you should fucking grab it and love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Embrace <laughs> those schools. Are, <laughs> you know. Well, as I've been fond of saying, it's the hit rate is actually better. Uh, you know, on on those players. I went. Uh, I went. To, I than, went back to the Steelers Fury, and I went and I looked through some of the old draft stuff from last year just to see how NFL fucking teams would be lucky to have some of the. You know, all things considered. You know. <laughs> no, I'm I'm being real serious. You know, like you see people like in the national media last year that were hammering players, like even C.J. Mosley. You know, and yeah. players saying, "Oh, how Dry Archer's going to be a great third round pick," and stuff like that. I, yeah, I know it's no. easy in hindsight's twenty twenty, but no, but not on this show. We did not love that pick. Hey, um, Perch, <laughs> one last draft guy. Um, is David Johnson like the second coming of? Uh, of uh, Le'Veon Bell. I mean, he's not the perfect guy to be a backup in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, to me, as we talked about the running back position a lot on the show throughout the year, and I, I you know, keep coming back to, I don't want a complimentary back. I want a redundant back. I want somebody who can go in and do what Le'Veon Bell does in case he needs a blow or in case uh, he gets injured for a game or two or suspended for smoking weed and driving his car. To get a guy who can who can pick up all the slack and, and do the things in the passing game and in the blocking game and in the running game that, that he can do. And to me, if you can get uh, David Johnson in like the fourth round, that's just a home run. Uh, what about Jeremy yeah, Langford in the fourth round? If you want to be truly redundant, Jeremy Langford from Michigan State got to replace Bell that's in this year's draft. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, I, I didn't hear. I, I just uh, – I don't know if he's quite as – I think he's a little bit different of a player. But, yeah, both but, of those are good. This running back class is stacked. I mean, Gordon and Gurley. I mean, just I, the the kid from Indiana, I think, is going to be a great player in Brent the NFL. Coleman, Kevin Coleman, you know, David Cobb, 230 fucking pounds. Yeah, no. and he can move. 
Yeah. Uh, the thing about the thing about David Johnson, though, FC, that uh, the reason I say that is the way he picks through traffic. I've never. I mean, basically, I've only seen maybe you know two guys my whole life who had the ability to make trash into treasure the the way that Le'Veon Bell does. David Johnson is a guy that has a little bit of flavor of that. Uh, Franco Harris was the other, but but uh, it's just funny. Like I, you know, just seeing him move. You think you know with the blocking that we have and the way that our offense works, he just seems like a guy that would you know that would be a fit. More, and I love the other guys. I love AJ and Abdullah is fantastic. Let's he's going to be a star somewhere. Cobb, like you said, two hundred thirty pounds. Langford, these are all. Gorius Allen and that fourth round range too. I mean, that's another guy that's pretty dynamic, and and he's, yeah. he's you know he's going to be lucky to go in the first three rounds. So I mean, there's just so much talent. To me, I think five years draft class overall, but it's very, very good at, at running back. So, to to for uh, to, to be looking for a second running back in the third and fourth round range, this is a good. godsend for the Steelers. Good year. I would say that there five years ago, John John Crockett is a fifth round or fourth round pick, isn't he? In this in this you know in the the draft environment now, is a running backs are so devalued. But you know, a guy like that, if he if he had, let's put it this way, if he had stayed in Nebraska and had any kind of similar success to what he had going to North Dakota State, that, that kid is a third or fourth round draft pick in the terms of talent and like his size and speed and whatever. Anyway, okay, great draft talk, gentlemen. And uh, at some point, we're going to have to uh, come post-combine and, and uh, exactly. see where we're at with things. I'm sure that Everything will change. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that um, is the best thing about the three of us is post-combine, everything won't change. That's <laughs> But before that's we, before we leave, uh, before we uh, leave, uh, we've got to talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. Um, I know it's, uh, you know, like losers talk about the draft, winners talk about the Super Bowl. <laughs> so, uh, and to that end, uh, we have, uh, you know, we can't talk about the Super Bowl, I think, without talking about Deflate Gate. It, apparently, it's a, it's a requirement on every football show before the Super Bowl. And we've had a very patiently actually checked in at 12.01, been waiting for an hour and 18 minutes to talk Deflate Gate with us. It's Bethlehem Steel. How are you, sir? <laughs> well, he's waiting an hour nineteen. I wonder if he's over there listening to the uh, commissioner. So I don't know when he when he when he comes back in the room and I hear him bustle. I guess we'll go back to that. But um, you know, how, how about this? I'll I'll start the boat. I, I you know I'm not one to think that the Patriots um, do. It can be proven that they've done a lot of stuff. But I have you know, no doubt in my mind that they, that they doctored balls. I just feel like the people are so up in arms about this particular issue because of everything else that they are suspected of doing uh, and that the, you know, the balls is enough of an issue that, that, you know, to talk about and to warrant conversation. But, you know, this is the team that all sorts of funny things happen with communications and they were accused of having second audio signal in the helmet and, and uh, stealing, you know, breaking down the opponent's plays and play calls and so on and so forth. I don't know. Perch, I know you're going to have, you're going to tell me you're only here uh, so you don't get fired. (laughs) No, I I mean, to me, this is the second incident where they've been caught directly trying to cheat to affect the integrity of the game. Now you go back and look what the saints got busted for. They, they got their coach suspended for a year and fined and all, all the other things that they got for what, for, Possibly putting a little bounty out on play on players, you know, making a hard hit during the course of the game that may or may not have injured somebody. None of that directly affected the result of the game. If the Patriots are playing with a ball that's deflated, that the quarterback can throw better, that the receivers can catch better, that the running backs can hold and fumble less, and the stats all bear that out over the last handful of years in New England, how 
so much uh, they're so far off the standard deviation for fumbles in, in bad weather games that something looks fishy there. They're cheating the league. And, and to me, that's the second time they've been caught. I mean, if you, you've got to throw a heavy penalty at them. It's got to be harder than what the Saints got. I mean, I think they should lose more uh, multiple first-round draft picks. I think they should be – Belichick should be suspended. If Brady's caught with his hand in, in the uh, cookie jar in this, he should miss half a season or a season. And I think it's that serious. You're directly intentionally cheating to, to get an advantage in a game. Uh, and it's the second time. They didn't learn their lesson the first time. So that's why I think it's serious. Uh, you, you, yeah. know, you talk about oh, how much difference is you know, a pound of pressure in the ball make. To me, that's not the thing. It's the thing that they are directly, intentionally cheating to get an advantage and win a football game. And that's well, part of the rule. It's the integrity of the game. Yeah, Absolutely. Perk, I think we, I, I think we do have we have Beth with us now. But hey, I, I'm um, here. I'm here. I have yeah, his back. I'm on mute. <laughs> no problem. Perk, well, I'll be Perk, You said everything perfectly, exactly how I feel. I have a new wrinkle on this whole thing. Not only are they defiantly doing this and have been doing it. The bell curves on all the stuff in that other book that me and Jeannie are yelling about. You know what? That guy may have compiled all the information, so it's all in one nice, nice neat place, and it's all footnoted to all the articles and say, this guy said this, this guy said that. Those bell curves on the betting, the home wins, uh, all the coaches that are basically, they leave New England and they stink. The Josh McDaniels cheating in Denver is a big, big proving to me that they did the walkthrough thing against the Rams. You know, it, to me, it stinks yeah, that's heaven. Just, just to Beth, just to clarify, that's what Josh McDaniels was caught doing. They were caught taping the walkthrough of their opponent. And Skarnecki took the fall for him, and he was banned from ever coming into the NFL again. And his father just retired, was it two years ago, right? So when McDaniels went back to New England, Skarnecki, the father of the guy that was banned, is now retired. So it makes sense. And the other guy is back in New England, Dayball. He was part of the original Spygate time frame as well, and he's now back. But my biggest point on why I think they've been cheating forever, and all their, their accomplishments are so tainted, is because look at what, look at what happened with Goodell and, and, and Kraft since Spygate. Not only did Kraft give Belichick the big raise to say F you to the league, he's buddy-buddy with Kraft or he's buddy-buddy with Goodell, and Goodell is basically in his ear, and they become this confidant type. They call him, what, the assistant commissioner? I think if we don't hear the other owners come out and say that there's a problem here, a conflict of interest, as Richard Sherman so <laughs> bluntly put it, it's a pardon the pun, uh, to me, Goodell's in the bigger pickle now because if he doesn't come down hard on his buddy – and everybody's going to say, well, the league is corrupt, and this may just tip the balance here to have people turn off the TV. Now, I could be way wrong about that, but look at what problem that Goodell crafts. The GQ article, if you haven't read it, read it. It's a great article. It paints a picture of where there's too much collusion going on between Kraft, CBS, and the league, and Goodell, and all this other stuff. Now, the owners are complicit in all this just to make the money make it go away if it gets quieted down again. I think everybody needs to take a look in the mirror and say, you know what, the league really is corrupt and it's it's not football anymore. That's my that's my two cents. <laughs> you have to say, thank you for waiting an hour and twenty minutes to tell us that. But you know, guys, it, it's obviously there's a lot of smoke and there's some fire that goes along with that. But Perch, I think the thing you really hit on there is 
you know, it's the it's the second time. I mean, an FC, when, you know, people got to have some doubts in terms of the, you know, the, the fairness of the results. Because not just last week, because that's, you know, maybe that were, the New England was going to beat Indianapolis pretty much no matter what they did. Who knows? But it's the course of the whole, over the course of the whole season. If, if you go undefeated at home because you're taking some advantages and some liberties at home, that f- puts you in a very unique position to be, to have home field advantage for the playoffs, to get to the Super Bowl a lot, which, which they've done. And they, you know, they're, they're some, what, uh, Beth, you'll know the answer to this better than I would. Is this the sixth? This would have been the sixth time they went undefeated at home since they've had Brady, and uh, they just they let down that last game where Brady didn't play. Is it I think six, it's would eight. have been six or eight. Wait. There you go. So nobody eight. else in nobody else in the league has done three in that time period. Yeah, the only other uh, team that's ever done it was Denver, I thought, based on what I've read. And I think it was oh, yeah. seven. It was seven in the books by you know who by whatever whatever his name is. Like yeah. But this week, this this year is the eighth time. If they went undefeated this year at home, which they did, that's number eight because it was put in the book as seven. So there you go. Another anomaly that's just off the chart that can only be explained away by whether it's math and stat or it's actual cheating because they're cheating. <laughs> well, it's put this way. They're either cheating or they're doing so much stuff that's legal that no one else is doing or something's happening. There's, there's well, they, ha- they have to be hitting the, the whole bio. Now the, uh, the NFL ops manual isn't online, so we can't go consult it, but I believe that what you've been reading around the rules is how they're skirting the rules, but not breaking the letter of the law. They're breaking the spirit of the law, you know, because it's not written down in a way in the things that we can see publicly that whether they are, or they aren't. But I agree that the espionage portion with Ernie Adams is the biggest thing. You know, it's there. It, it's it, it, <laughs> until he's gone and Belichick's <laughs> gone. Guess what? They're going to get off again and they're going to cheat again because cheaters will continue to cheat because they feel it's worth their legacy. So, well, the price the price they paid wasn't really that much for what they got out of it. Seems like. Oh, so, uh, yeah. I'll give you the. I'm going to give you the last word on this. I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate and I'm going to get booed. <laughs> I believe they cheated. I believe they've been cheating for a long time in the terms that you guys place cheating. And uh, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think that this time I won't be shocked if you might have had an overzealous locker room attendant do something he shouldn't have done. I think that they've been deflating the balls. I think that – but I think this stuff's been going on for a long time. Um, Paul Brown had absolutely no issues killing the hot water to visiting locker room. If anybody reads the stories about the Cleveland Browns, you know, coming up, the visiting locker room had rats and nasty shit growing in it. Um, I think that the NFL has advanced and it has promoted itself as the ultimate league. So things that happened in the past can no longer happen now. I think that if they're proven and found to be cheating and at all, with the, if, if they can tie the deflating of the balls to any major portion of the organization, which would include Belichick, general manager, assistant general manager, player personnel, anybody that's basically not a fucking kid, um, I probably – would pull their entire 2015 draft. I'd pull their 2016 first and second round draft picks. 
I'd pull their 2017 first and second round draft picks, and I would also not give them a single compensation pick in those years for any free agents that they lost to to other teams, and I probably would find the organization $250 million, which I would that's, the, for, that's the death, which the death penalty. It's the equivalent of the NCAA I would death turn penalty, the $250 million over to the NFL PA and the Mike Dick organization for retired football players pre-1977. And that's what I would well, do. there you go. Well, Beth, I hope you, <laughs> you got I like your that. satisfaction. That good enough. I, I, think they should, I think they should give him a billion-dollar fine and the death penalty. Oh, so, my God. All right. Well, look the, at death the penalty, value of their franchise has gone into almost $3 billion from what I've read. So why not give him a the billion? That my, I would have those penalties be so harsh. What do I tell my kids? What does Perch tell his kids? about the NFL, about America's pastime now. You know, I mean, people want to say it was steroids in baseball. That was individual fucking players cheating. That wasn't one of 32, one of the 32 most powerful men to be in, they say the NFL owners are the 32 most powerful men in the United States. I've heard that said. How how do you approach? How do you, what, what do you tell them that, oh, it's okay to cheat here, but, you know, it, 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 it's a tough question. And the NFL wants to present itself as this big fucking thing. Well, if you're not going to, you know, you have to police. And, and you're going to lose fans. You're going to really lose a large part of your fan base. If you have they gotta, they got to really be looking at it this time from that standpoint. Not only this new Spygate or this Deflategate, they have to look at what's going on with the whole problems they got with Goodell. The NFL got so many problems outside of this. I mean, yes. it's not fucking players. And I, I don't I, – I'm not even going to get into the, the – just treat your past players right because whenever the bubble breaks, it's going to break, and it's going to break quick, and people are going to be shocked. Let's but go have big drinks with Mark Cuban. I want to be there when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Beth, thank you. Thank you for the call, sir. Uh, and uh, we, we know which way you're rooting uh, for the cheater bowl. <laughs> for the cheater bowl. Right on. Thanks, Beth. I appreciate you hanging on. Later, guys. Hey, uh, before we finish, Perch, um, what's your take on the Super Bowl game since they might actually get to play a game uh, after all of this stuff? Um, are you still think? I think a couple of weeks ago you were thinking that New England was going to win this game. Are you still feeling that way? Yeah. Well, well, first I have to say, listening to uh, Beth Steele hate on the Patriots, is like watching Barry Sanders run with a football or Ken Griffey Jr. swing a bat. So <laughs> I just throw that out there. That is majestic. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I can't remember a single Super Bowl in my life I have waffled back and forth so much. Part of me wants to think, you know, you, you watch that tape from what Green Bay's defense did to Seattle, and Seattle really doesn't deserve to be in this game, and Belichick's a genius, and he's going to figure it out. And the other part of me thinks – New England's under so many distractions, and if you look player for player on the roster, Seattle's got a better roster. If I gun to my head and I've got a pick, I'm still thinking New England wins it by a field goal, and after the game, the ball tests uh, too too overly inflated for uh, NFL regulations. With helium. <laughs> yeah. Well, like helium. Wasn't it, who's it, Ray Guy, who used to put helium in the balls? <laughs> exactly. That's why yeah. I have to pull back down. <laughs> FC, what do you think? Um... Earl Thomas is a fucking stud. How about Earl Thomas 
hitting, coming back into the game and hitting right. dudes with the shoulder that he just yeah. separated or he, dislocated. That, trust no, me. No, separated. From, yeah. Ouch. First degree separation. Um, he's in trouble. And uh, ligament tears in your elbow, that's also pretty tough. Um, I think it's going to be an ugly Super Bowl, which is going to surprise people. I actually agree with Perch. I put my money where my mouth is. I put in a wager this morning, and I took uh, the New England Patriots to win the game. Uh, I think they're going to win by a field goal. You guys, you guys are nuts. I know you're absolutely nutty. I'm going to put it Something. this way: Russell Wilson's going to put up the lowest quarterback rating in the history of the Super Bowl. And no, well, here okay, comes Russell Wilson nut hugging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Comes. Well, here, here's, a, here's a couple things about this game. One, it's supposed to rain. For the game, and I think the, the roof will be open. Um, roof will the be Patriots, closed. For rent. They said they said that they're talking there about having the roof open. No, so. it's it's up to Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell has final say on it. <laughs> uh, at any rate, what, what, what did Beth just say? <laughs> Continue. Yeah, indeed, indeed, it's true. Well, uh, even without that, I, I think that this game, you know, I think that the New England offense, Seattle defense. It's a bit of a wash. I mean, they're they're both going to make some plays. Um, I, you know, neither is going to perform. You know, they're not going to. New England's not going to get shut out, and Seattle is not going to get blown off the field. To me, this game really comes down to what Seattle does on offense against New England's defense. I do think New England's defense is sort of built to stop. Uh, you know, a lot of what Seattle likes to do. Not necessarily that they're such a great run defense team, but they can stack it up against the run and still play coverage behind it. Um, it, so I don't think it's a lot of points for either team. I like the under more than I like any other pick in this game. Right now it's 48 is the over-under. I don't think um, it's close to that. I agree. Yeah, and, uh, but I, I think, uh, you know, I, you can say what you want about Russell Wilson, and you guys are, you know, obviously thinking he's going to get the, his ass handed to him in this game, but I, the guy seems to just make – he's a little – the thing that I – the reason I feel like he, he resembles Ben is that, he has a way of looking bad for a game or for a while and then just making a couple of plays that are just so on point and at the right time that there's a difference in the game. Last week, he almost didn't have enough time to do that. It was a sort of a miracle just to get to that point. But, you know, once, once they made the play to get him the ball, I had no doubts that Seattle was going to win that game just because he's, he's the guy that, you know, at the end of the game, he's one of the few quarterbacks that you really feel great about when the ball's in his hands at the end of the game. He he may not be the best at everything else, but I think that aspect of it is good. So, you know, my take is you can take away his uh, outside receivers. Um, you know, you can try to stack it up against the run. He can still make some plays with his legs. He'll still hit his tight end on some dump-offs. Um, you know, I, I, I still expect Seattle to make one more play than, than the New England makes in this game. And I think it won't hurt to have about 50,000 – more people rooting voraciously for uh, Seattle than New England in the stadium. It's, it's never that easy to play against a whole stadium full of people, no matter what teams will tell you. Maybe for Tom Brady, he likes that shit. But, but for, uh, you know, your average, it, it, if anybody's going to have trouble with the crowd noise or anything like that, it'll be New England. So a couple little things like that, I think, is all it takes to be the difference in the game. I'll take Seattle 23-17. Um, one, if I, wanted, if I was going to do one um, – proposition bet in this game it would be that new england throws tom brady throws a ball to an 
ineligible receiver that's legal. That's the one thing New England hasn't done with its, uh, you know, calling certain guys ineligible receivers is they can actually throw a lateral or backwards pass to a guy who's ineligible and it's legal for that player to catch it. It's also legal for that player to throw it or run with it. And I can imagine a play where Julian Edelman or uh, I wanted to say uh, Ben Vereen, Shane Vereen, <laughs> uh, Vereen. is called ineligible, gets, gets a lateral from Tom Brady and basically has two blockers in front of him, the, the you know, normally ineligible tackle who's out there and uh, another receiver, and he has a run or pass option. I could see that being a play that would be very difficult to, you know, to expect and uh, just the kind of thing that New England has been setting up with what they've done. So don't be surprised to see that. But I, I like Seattle. Uh, I've, I've, you know, I, I will tout my own horn for a second. I have a pretty good record in the Super Bowl against the spread. Uh, you know, I missed a couple of Steelers games because I picked the Steelers. Even when they won, they didn't cover. But, uh, but other than that, I missed like twice uh, since the mid-'90s against the spread. So I feel, uh, I feel okay about my pick. I, I just feel like Seattle is a better team, and their uh, quarterback is good enough. Uh, gentlemen, FC, I'll give you your last word. I think the thing that's going to piss off Steeler fans more than the New England Patriots winning the Super Bowl is that Garrett Blunt's going to be the Super Bowl MVP. Boy, you're just you're just full of uh, sunshine today. Um, <laughs> uh, Kevin Colbert, Mike Tomlin, this is a dire need draft. Don't fuck it up. If uh, Actually, you guys fucked it, final word was yeah. far more important than mine. But <laughs> yeah, if you guys screw this one up, uh, you know I think that Ben's window is going to get slammed shut, and we're not going to see another Super Bowl for twenty some years. So oh they've got to get this. They've got to get this off season right. Uh, they I have to get it right. Everywhere from re-signing their own guys to cutting their own guys to picking some people up in free agency to the draft, they've got to knock all of it out out of the park. And uh, let's hope they do. I want the Pittsburgh Steelers players, coaches, front office to watch painfully every second of the Super Bowl and every second of the post-game interviews and subsequent uh, blowing about either you know Brady and Belichick winning their fourth or uh, Russell Wilson winning a second and Seattle being a dynasty and the best defensive ever. I want, I want all of that to, to get soaked in and uh, to get directed towards Monday morning uh, at 4 a.m. when they, they start the process of, of trying to get back to that point because I think there's something about that pain, uh, what it's like to suffer through that when you're a player who has a small window that, you know, they, they could use the reminder, I think, at, the, at this moment. I know there's some guys on that team who understand um, but, you know, that's the kind of thing that can't hurt anybody. So for us as fans, you know, no matter how painful it is for us, just remember it's more painful for them. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you to uh, Bethlehem Steel for hanging on for an hour plus. Thanks to uh, Perch and FC for doing the full-length podcast today. You guys are studs, and uh, Draft Talk was excellent. We'll come back after the Combine someday. And in the meantime, enjoy the Super Bowl no matter how, how it comes out, <laughs> worse or worst. Thanks, gentlemen. This is Brad Soto Ben saying, uh, go get them Steelers in the draft and uh, talk to you guys at our next show. Go Colbert and Tomlin. Later. Ciao, kids. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.